Let's pray. God, we are so grateful tonight for every good and perfect gift that you have given us. We thank you above all for Jesus Christ, whose name we have sung already this evening. We stand in awe of your generosity. As we move into this season of Lent, we do pray that all of us will understand your enduring love, what you have done for us, and that we will offer our lives back to you in gratitude. We pray for the members of our community who live in Beats Feenstra. We thank you for the role that Kate has there to shape that community. And we pray a rich blessing on her, that the peace of Jesus Christ will guard her heart and mind, that she will have wisdom when she has to determine uh, relationships between people or she has to discipline people or she needs to call someone into leadership who doesn't think they have leadership gifts. Lord, give her the ability to speak well into the lives of these students. And we pray for this hall that the things that they have started to talk about will go deeper, that they will truly have good conversations that lead to deep connections, connections that allow them to flourish well together, connections that make them more devoted disciples with each other. And we pray for discernment as people think about who they want to invite to shape them over this next year because our roommates shape us and influence us and encourage us. And so, Lord, help us to seek out people who do that. And we pray for Beats Feenstra. We pray that people will be kind and gracious toward each other as they discuss where to live and who to live with. And, Lord, we do pray that this season of Lent will mark Beats Feenstra as a place where the great love that they have for you and the love that you have for them is celebrated and nourished and expanded in ways that they can't even dream about right now. And help us this week as we walk past BV or we talk to people who live there to keep it in prayer all week long so that this will be a place where your glory shines. And we pray for our community. We thank you for the announcement this week of our new provost, Dr. Branson. We pray, pray a rich blessing on her as she prepares to take on this big job. Give her incredible wisdom. Give her physical stamina. Give her joy. May she be really eager to take this on. And we pray for Dr. Beversluis as she steps out and wonders about what's next for her, that you will open up some great possibilities for her. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in providing leaders for this campus. We thank you that this week some of us were called into leadership as RAs, and we celebrate that. And we may be overwhelmed by it. And so, Lord, remind us that where you have called us, you will equip us. We pray for those who got disappointing news this week. We think of those who weren't chosen to be RAs. We think of those who didn't get accepted into the nursing program. And now that can just shake us and make us wonder what's next. And so, Lord, help us to celebrate with those who are celebrating and to mourn with those who mourn and remember both in our prayers. And Lord, we pray for Megan Herringa as she continues to recover. We pray that you will strengthen her lungs, clear out her ears, give her back her energy so that she can look forward to being a college student once again. We pray for Professor Prope as he endures treatments and comes back to Michigan. We pray, Lord, that the healing that he has experienced will be magnified and that he will be restored. We're already amazed by you, all you have answered our prayers for him. 
And so, Lord, we do pray that the treatment he receives will indeed heal him and give him a long and healthy life. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. And as tonight we look at what it means to date well, to date Christianly, to date as people who love you, we pray that you will help us, Holy Spirit, to be attentive and to be wise, to listen and obey when you prompt us. And we ask all of this through Jesus Christ. Amen. is she doing? She has a music stand. She doesn't have a music stand. What's that about? You will find out. So the, tonight is the fourth in our series on relationships. We looked at the relationship with God, relationship with parents, relationship with, and tonight is relationship with more than friends. That's in quotation marks. You got to add the like more than friends. Like, are they friends? Oh, no, I think they're more than friends. That's what we're talking about. People that you want to date or break up with or would like to date or all those things. We're going to cover all those things. You do not have to reveal where you are in the relationship spectrum right now. We're not going to ask for a show of hands at any point tonight. It's fine. It's fine. So uh, tonight's going to be a little bit more of a Christian speech than a sermon. So a Christian speech takes a topic and looks at different passages of Scripture and looks at the idea from a biblical perspective. A sermon takes a passage of scripture and goes deep into it and see how it can apply to different areas of our lives. So as a preacher, I want to say that first because this isn't my normal default, all right? I, I generally prefer to preach sermons and go to the text than I do to like have an idea and try to come up with stuff. So you have to let me know if this works. Hence these because I'm going to be using the slides tonight. Like, ooh, technology. I know, I know. That's big for me. That's big. I'm a low-tech kind of girl. <laughs> Speaking of technology, how many of you know about Tinder? Do you know Tinder, the app? Nod if you do, and shake your head if you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, excellent. We got a nice mix. So Tinder is an app. Now I really regret like even bringing this up because you're going to want to not, don't do it, don't download it. Tinder is an app in which you load a picture of yourself and you can look at the pictures of other people who happen to be in your immediate geographical area. And once you find a picture, and you can swipe one way, and that says, I don't like this picture, and you could swipe the other way, and that says, I like this picture. Are you seeing why I have problems with this app? <laughs> I read about this in Time Magazine. I just want you to know this is not from personal experience. <laughs> I'm all good in the, in the dating department. So. Uh, so you can swipe one way to, to say, I don't like this picture, and swipe the other way to say, I like this picture. Now, if the person that you swipe and you like the picture happens to see your picture and also likes your picture, then you get the option to communicate with each other. Now, in lots of contexts, particularly in big cities, this app has been used for easy sex. It's like, who's right around me that I find moderately attractive and is willing to bring up meeting together. That's how the app is primarily being used. And so we have this app that allows people to have bodies without souls. 
I'm going to move into relationship just as body. I'm going to get what I can get out of this. That's all that I want. On the other extreme, we have people who begin online relationships with people who live far, far away from them, and they've never seen them. They don't know what they smell like. They don't know anything about them. But they pour their hearts out over emails, back and forth, long, reflective, witty prose, perhaps a poem, going back and forth. So on this side, we have souls but no bodies, and on this side, we have bodies and no souls. That's what technology allows us now. And our God comes into this and he says, guys, I've got something so much better for you. Fully incarnate relationships where bodies and souls are together and you get to know each other well. Some of you may know that uh, in the Old Testament when it talks about a husband and a wife conceiving a child, it used to use in the old translations a particular word, a husband knew his wife. Do you remember this? And when you were little and maybe you had Sunday school or Bible class and they would say, a husband, Adam, knew his wife, and you'd be like, hee, 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 hee. <laughs> right? Because you're like, oh, they're talking about sex. Ha, ha, ha. Because you're like eight, and that's funny. And, but the idea of the Hebrew word there, which is yada, which means to know, is really much more holistic than just had sex with. It's the idea of the husband knowing and loving and serving his wife that gets exemplified in the act of sexual intercourse. But there is no act of sexual intercourse without first knowing and loving and serving the wife. That's the way it's talked about. So God has this idea that he wants yada. And we, actually, if we're honest with each other, what we most want is yada. We want to know and be known. We want to know and be known. And we want this in our relationship with God. And we want this in our relationship with our parents. And we want this in our relationship with our friends. And we want this with anyone that we date. We would love to know and be known. That's what we're going for, that idea of yada, to know and be known. And so tonight, we're going to look at Christian dating. What does that really mean? Now, there are lots of books about it. Tonight, we're going to look at these things. Why we should date, that's a good place to start. Why? Why? Some of you are like, yeah, why? I don't know why. <laughs> How we should date. We're going to get very practical. You may want to get out a pen and paper because I'm going to have stuff that you're going to want to write down. Whom we should date. That's also very important. Um, I am not the matchmaker of Calvin College, but I will give you <laughs> some advice. I have absolutely no interest in that. Do not ask me. <laughs> but I'll give you some advice. Generally, that'll apply to all of you. All right? So this is where we're going. Why we should date, how we should date, whom we should date. So let's start with the why. We do not date to get. A lot in contemporary culture talks about getting someone. I want you. Listen to the lyrics of any song that's out there. It's like, I want you. I've got to have you. I need you. It's like, oh my goodness. Blah. That's all about, I have the thing need and I'm going to take you. Do you remember last week when we talked about centripetal force people, people who just suck you into their orbit and it's all about them? That's this. That's this kind of dating. 
We, as followers of Jesus Christ, we do not date to get. We date to grow. We date to grow. You do not date to get. You date to grow. How do you want to grow? Here we go. We want to grow closer to Jesus. You're like, oh my gosh, Pastor Mary, we do not date to grow closer to Jesus. Yes, yes, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. Because hopefully what attracts you to someone initially is how that person imitates Christ. Is that person kind? Is that person generous? Does that person live with integrity? So when you look at a person, you think, I like the way this person is living, and if I hung out with this person some more, I bet this person could help me become more like Jesus. That's who you want to date. That's why you want to date. You want to grow closer to Jesus. Remember last week when we talked about people who move you from death to life? Like, like these need to be your friends? All of that stuff applies this week too. All of it. You want to be around someone who's going to move you from death to life, from old habits to new habits. So you date to grow closer to Jesus. And secondly, you date to be better for the kingdom. You see, all y'all, when all y'all date, it affects all y'all. You do not date in isolation. There's this other myth in North American culture that like dating is private and you just go off and you figure it out on your own. Nuh-uh. Ask anybody whose roommate is dating how that affects their lives. <laughs> right? You laugh because you understand. (laughs) So when I say we date to be better for the kingdom, the kingdom is like your dorm room. The kingdom is your floor. The kingdom is your dorm or your house, your apartment, your family. Are you becoming better for the community because of the people you choose to hang out with? And if you are not becoming better for your roommate, your floor, your family, your friends, because you are dating this person, you shouldn't be dating that person. The person should not only draw you closer to Jesus, the person should make you more invested in the kingdom of God that's happening right here around us. You don't date in a vacuum. You don't date in isolation. And if you have some chutzpah and you're dating somebody, ask your friends how that relationship has impacted your friendships. Because it has. And in the best situation, they'll say, you are so much better since you started dating that person. It is awesome. We want you with that person forever. That's where you want to get. You want to say the kingdom of God is going to be better if the two of us keep moving toward each other and toward Jesus. So you date in order to grow closer to Jesus and be better for the kingdom. And eventually, if those things are going really well, you make the status permanent. And you say the kingdom is going to be best if we get married. That's just going to be great. So there's the why. Now, we're going to go through five things that because this is true, because we date for the kingdom, there are five things we're going to pay attention to. Here's the first one. 
Because we date for the kingdom, we believe singleness is a beautiful and important state of being. And this is not like, oh, she's got to talk about the singleness part before she gets to the interesting part. No. <laughs> singleness is a very important stage of your development. You've got to figure out who you are. You've got to figure out what's important to you. This has to happen. You know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and he says, guys, I'm not joking around. Look, married people have it hard. Married people have it tough. Their loyalties are divided. They want to serve the kingdom, and they got the spouse they got to pay attention to, and it's really hard for them. So, you know, I want you to be paying attention. Like, if you're single, you can be devoted. If you're married, your loyalties are divided. And let me tell you something. Having been married 14 months after being single for 12 years, he is so right. He is so right. It's like, I've got limited real estate up here, and... You know, it used to be kind of open and expansive, and now it's like, my husband and his children and his in-laws and all these people have moved in on the real estate. And my thoughts go to him and to them and how to be a family member and what does this mean and blah, blah, blah. And there's just like lots more noise going on. And it's harder to be wholly attentive to the kingdom of God. Singleness is an important and beautiful state of being. When you're single, you can go to the next one there. Learn how to attend to God. If you're single right now, if that's the season of life you're in, you have the opportunity to learn how to attend to God. What do I mean by that? I mean that you need to learn how to talk to and listen to your Lord. Because there's going to be a lot of people moving into your real estate in the next three to five to ten years. And if you don't develop the habits of learning how to talk to and listen to your Lord, if you don't develop the habits of going to worship, if you are not able, for example, to go to worship by yourself or go to a movie by yourself or go out to dinner by yourself, figure that stuff out. Learn to be contented in who you are. Find yourself really interesting. <laughs> and learn to find God really interesting. Some of you are going to be single your entire lives, whether you want to be or not. Maybe it's a call. Maybe it's just how it happens. You have to find rootedness and contentedness in your singleness. And most of us are single for at least some part of our lives. If you're a woman and you marry a man, the odds are really good you outlive him. And you're going to have to figure out how to be single all over again. So this, this isn't a skill that you're like, well, I'm just doing this until I turn 25 because then... It's like, no, this is a really important thing you've got to figure out. So while you're single, learn how to attend to God. And the second part, while you're single, learn about yourself. So some of you maybe watch um, Parks and Recreation. I love Parks and Rec. The most recent issue is waiting for me when I finish tonight. It's my Sabbath beginning. And uh, there's a character on Parks and Rec named Anne. And they have a garage sale. And Anne comes to the garage sale with four large boxes. And in each of the boxes are remains of previous relationships. Because anytime Anne dated somebody, she took on the personality of the person that she was dating. 
And so she goes through him and she says, I dated Chris and he was really into exercise and this entire box is like full of exercise equipment. And then she says, you know, and I, before him I dated Andy and Andy was in a grunt rock band. She's pulling out the flannel shirts, you know. And before that I dated Tom and this is my needless shopping phase and my credit card debt phase. Like she took on the personalities of whoever she was dating. She had to learn to figure out who she was. You need to figure out who you are in the Lord. I spoke at a local Christian high this week to a group of parents, and one of them said, asked me the question, and she said, what are you most concerned about in your students? That was a good question. And I said, one of my worries for my students is that they will try so hard to be liked that they will forget to learn what they need to love. We try so hard to be liked we forget to figure out what we love. Augustine starts this years ago, and he says, if you've got your loves in the right order, your life is going to be a lot easier to manage, which is why we started this series with a relationship with God. What do you love about God? What are you passionate about about God? What is he inviting you to do with your life? What dreams do you have? What do you love Maybe you love teaching music to children and you think, I can't imagine my life without this. Maybe you love the idea of healing people and watching them that better and you just can't imagine life without that. Maybe you love things that nobody else loves, but you're like, this is what God has called me to love. Ancient languages. Yeah. God's called you to love the thing. Figure out what you love. Maybe you love being in the out of doors and you think, wow, I just can't imagine a life where that's not part of what I do on a regular basis. Maybe you love children and you love the idea of parenting so much so that if God doesn't call you into marriage, you're pretty sure he's still going to call you into parenthood and you would think about adopting. What do you love? And if you learn how to attend to God and you learn about yourself and you figure out what you love and you are deeply rooted and content, you bring all of that into a relationship if God calls you to it. And if God doesn't call you into a romantic relationship, you bring that into all your other relationships. This is a win, 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 win. All this. So because we date for the kingdom, the first thing we say Singleness is a beautiful, important state of being. Here's the second thing we say. We cannot save someone by dating them. <laughs> I have a witness. Yeah, I tried that. I tried that. Listen to me, people. You cannot save someone by dating them. And I'm not just talking about eternally, right? I'm not just talking about a Christian dating a non-Christian, although that is not a good idea. If you're like 110% sold out on the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're involved in your church and you sing in the choir and you have a Bible study and you have a small group and you're dating somebody who's like, yeah, I may go to church with you. No! Doesn't work. It's a mismatch. But you also can't save someone from their bad stuff. You can't save someone from their bad habits. You can't say, well, I know that if I date her, she'll get over the eating disorder. 
I know that if, if I date him, the addiction to pornography will just go away. I know that I can do this. I can change this person's life. I can just come in and my love will save them. Blah. <laughs> Who saves? There you go. Anybody here named Jesus? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> Jesus saves, you don't, okay? If you have a friend who's got a problem, don't date them, walk them to Bruni. Okay? You can't save someone by dating them. We have all seen people who've tried it. It's nasty. Don't do it. You can't save people by dating them. All right, third thing. Physical intimacy is not a right or a need. Physical intimacy is not a right or a need. If you date someone who says, well, if we're going to be dating, our physical relationship must have this, otherwise I'm out, you say, you're out. <laughs> it's not a right. It's not a need. It feels like both, but it's not. And what's telling you that it is a right and it is a need is everything around you. Every movie you watch, every television show you consume, the YouTube videos, the music, it's all saying, this is a right, this is a need, you should get it. We say physical intimacy is not a right, it's not a need. How do we grow? Here's a great quote. We all experience sexual desires, but they can be controlled without damaging us. I've never seen an obituary that gave chastity as the cause of death. <laughs> Isn't that a great quote? I love that. You can control these things. So there's this great book called The Unlikely Disciple. <clears throat> and it tells the story of a student from Brown University, which is this big secular public university, who spends a year at Liberty University, Yes, <laughs> which is a very conservative school that has lots of rules about boys and girls and holding hands, which you can't do, and all these things, lots of rules. And so he talks about this girl who gets his attention, and they go out for coffee, and he says, he's got this great line in the book where he says, because I knew there was no way that sex or anything near to it was going to happen by the end of the night, I was able to just be fully attentive and listen to her. And I was like, huh, imagine. <laughs> it was like a new experience for him. I was like, welcome to the gospel. <sighs> so if physical intimacy isn't a right and it isn't a need, why don't we talk about it? And I'm not talking about sex. We talk a lot about sex. I preached on sex. You can go look at the, listen to the archives. Why don't we talk about the little things that lead up to it? Thank you. <laughs> Why don't we say at the beginning of a, at a time together, hey, I just want to be really clear that at the end of this night, I'd like to close by giving you a hug. That's it. And other than that, I'm just not going to touch you because I want to be fully attentive and I'm not going to cross any, any barriers. Wouldn't that be nice? You're like, oh, whew, whew. 
Don't you worry about that. Because otherwise, the whole night, what's your date like? Did he, did he mean to touch my hand? <laughs> should, should I lean toward him a little bit? <laughs> should I put my hand on his leg? Right? It's awkward the entire night, and all you're thinking about is, how far is this going to go physically, even if it's just like... <sighs> right? So what if, instead of making it like this big, like, will she, won't she, I don't know, what does that mean? Is that serious? Does he mean something by that? He opened the door for me. I don't really know. <laughs> what if you ask before you touch? How delightful would it be if someone said to you, may I hold your hand? See? <laughs> Gentlemen, are you listening? Did you hear that? <laughs> Boys in the room, give it up. Did you hear? You got the, oh, right? Right? That's big. That's big. See, that's the difference between dating to get, which is like, you know, and dating to grow, to say, I'm not going to do anything that's going to make this person uncomfortable. Ask, may I kiss you goodnight? Right? Yeah, did you hear that? Right? Ask before you touch. And if at the beginning of the evening, you know, you make it really clear, or the beginning of the conversation, you just, you know, then there's no guessing, and you can be fully attentive to this other human being that God has put in your sphere of orbit. Physical intimacy isn't a right, it isn't a need, it's a gift, so treat it like that. All right, that's number three. Number four, we will treat each other with honesty and kindness. You may think, well, that's obvious. I mean, we read that whole Colossians 3 thing last week. We got this down. Really? Really? Have you had a conversation like this? Well, what did he say to you? Well, he said he wanted to meet me after practice. Well, what does that mean? I don't know what it means. It means he wants to meet me after practice. Well, did he say, like, you should shower and stuff after practice? <laughs> Was there a promise of food in any way involved in this conversation? <laughs> I don't know. He just said he wanted to meet me after practice. I don't know what he means. How many of you have been there? Don't raise your hand. Like, hold it in. <laughs> right? We can all raise our hands. Oh my goodness, yes. Because we're not clear, we're not honest. Right? And so we just kind of have this like amorphous, like, I don't know, does he like me? I don't know. So, my friends, I give to you this gift tonight. Next slide. Be clear and be honest when you ask someone out and when you want to stop seeing someone. Be clear and be honest. So, my friends... This is how you ask someone out. Hey, you're a really kind, funny, smart person. I'd like to get to know you better. On Thursdays, I'm done with class at 2.30. Could I meet you in the fish house and treat you to the hot beverage of your choice? <laughs> That's all you got to do. Not hard. It's not hard. It just takes courage. Got to summon it up. Now, let me tell you what I like about this particular setup here. 
Are you with me? Are we back? Are we back? Are you writing it down? So what you have here is you tell the person something good about the person. Who doesn't love to hear that? Right? Who would love to hear you say, I've been paying attention, I find you compassionate? Awesome. That's in the list of virtues we read about last week. I like that. I'd like to get to know you better. Clear. On Thursdays, I'm done with class at 2.30. Can I meet you at the fish house? Treat you. So local, public, low stakes time. Nothing bad happens at 2.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> you're awake, you're with other people, you're going to have caffeine, it's all going to be fine. <laughs> you also, by the way, both have an exit plan. You're at the fish house. It doesn't go well, pick up your backpack and walk home. What is this idea that we have in North America where we say, hey, teenagers, how about the two of you get in a car and go off all by yourselves where one of you has the keys and the other one doesn't? <laughs> and if the date goes really poorly, one of you is toast because you have no way to get out of the situation. Isn't it time we thought about these things? <laughs> so this is how you ask someone out. Now, Listen to me, if someone says these words to you or something very close that is like a low stakes, 2.30, drink a cup of hot chocolate kind of date, say yes. They aren't asking you to marry them. <laughs> it's a hot beverage. Say yes. Worst case scenario, you're sitting there for 20 minutes drinking a free java. <laughs> Worst case scenario, Best case scenario, you think, oh, this is actually fun. I really enjoyed this person. This is lovely. Okay? Just say yes. And besides, if people see you in the fish house drinking coffee, they're just going to think you're working on a group project for communications or something. <laughs> All right? Slow steaks. They see you out for dinner at Outback, steaks much higher. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all night. <laughs> Would you believe me if I said that was completely not thought out ahead? <laughs> so let's say the first date goes well. Here's what you say. I really enjoyed this and would like to do it again. Would you like to meet here again next Thursday? Now, either person can say this, the asker or the askee. If you're feeling like this is going well, ask for a follow-up. Not the next day. Don't be pushy. Give it time. You know that they have Thursdays at 2.30 free. Claim it. <laughs> Claim it. So you're clear. You're being honest. You're being clear. I enjoyed this. I'd like to do it again. You're specific. Let's meet here next Thursday. You good? You got this down? Do you need more time? <laughs> the rest of your life is a quiz on this. <laughs> that the Lord will grade. No. All right, if it doesn't go well, thank you so much for spending time with me. I feel like I have a new friend. <laughs> clear, people. You got to be clear. See, you all knew what that meant. 
every single one of you knew what that meant. No one's sitting there going, I don't know, what does that mean? No, you're in, the, you're in the friend zone. That means you're in the friend zone. You're in the zone. Or as Joey said to Ross one time, you are mayor of the zone. I, I feel like I'm a new friend. Have a great afternoon. If we use that kind of language with each other, there's none of this like, well, how'd it go? I don't know. You think he's going to call you in? I don't really know. If you called her again, you think she'd say yes? I don't know. You know. One of the big challenges I find in our community when it comes to this kind of stuff is that people live in a fantasy land. You've got a crush on someone, and you like live in this little Walter and Mitty fantasy land about what it's going to look like if the two of you, you know, start to date and get married and have babies and live in Jenison. Like, you just go the whole day. <laughs> and you don't even know if the person likes you. You may not know if the person is dating anybody else. You may not have any idea about any of these things because it's so much safer to stay in your little Walter Mitty pretend world than it is to have the courage to ask someone out for coffee and hear this. Because this is reality. Right? You've been so kind to me, but I'm not interested in a second date. And suddenly your fantasy is like... But does our Lord invite us to live in secret fantasy worlds? Does he invite us to date for the kingdom of truth and reality and kindness? So we can laugh at this and say, man, that's harsh. Oh, yeah, you've made a new friend. That's really harsh. But what's worse, having somebody just play with you for three or four or five weeks until they finally deal the blow? Right? Wouldn't it be great if someone just said this very clearly to you? You have been so kind to me, but I'm not interested in a second date. Guys, this isn't easy. It takes courage to ask. It takes courage to say no. It takes courage to deal with rejection. It takes courage to do the second date. But don't we want to be those kind of people? Isn't that what a life in Christ looks like? It looks courageous. It looks like truth. Now, if you've been dating somebody for a while, the stakes are higher, you've got more invested, it's tougher, you may want to start the conversation by saying something like this. This may come as a surprise to you, but I'm losing confidence in this relationship. I know I'm not ready to keep moving forward. I need to stop seeing you. There again, it's clear, it's honest. Now, a few things you need to do. If you're going to break up with someone, don't string them along. Don't flirt without purpose. Don't ever say, God told me to break up with you. <laughs> I've heard that used on this campus. Come on! That may be true. It may be that God said very clearly, you are not to be with this person. But if you tell the person that God told you to do that, they've got a messed up relationship with you and they've got a messed up relationship with God. Because they're going back to God like, dude, what? Seriously, what did I do? Don't ever say that. Don't say, let's just be friends. No one wants to hear that. 
It may be true that in six months or six years or when you have your college reunion and number 25, you'll be able to have a friendship and talk to each other like human beings. But if you've been invested in a relationship for a while and it's over, don't belittle the person by saying, we can just go back to the way we were. You can't. You can't. So just say, it's done. And this is what done means. No texting, no calling, no Facebook notes to check in. If you want to break up, break up. Be done. Because the person with whom you are breaking up is looking for any sign of hope that this could keep going. She's checking her phone. He's looking at his Facebook page. Is there any sign of hope that this was a mistake? She was having a bad day. He wasn't feeling well. It was a fluke. It was a mistake. Please, can we have this back together again somehow? And you, if you're the one who's doing the breaking up, you need to understand what life looks like without this person in it. And by the way, this is where the kingdom of God part comes in because all of your friends are going to be paying attention to how you do this. And if you think it's hard on the two of you involved, it's hard on the radius of people who know about this relationship. And they don't want to have lunch with you three times a week and hear you still talk about, well, he texted me today, it could happen, I don't really know. Maybe it was just a break, not a break up. That doesn't work either. When you see them, be kind. When you're walking on the path, you know, I mean, come on, we're 4,000 people, but why is it that the people you don't want to see, you always see? <laughs> if you see them on the path, give a nod, give a smile, say hello, say hi. Be kind. And when their name comes up in conversation, speak well about them. Speak kindly about them. No one needs to know the ins or outs of how the, all the breaking up went. No one really needs to know that. This is an opportunity for us to model our discipleship. When things go awry in a relationship, do we respond with integrity and grace and kindness? Do we clothe ourselves with compassion? Do we forgive? The fifth thing, this is really important, you can survive a breakup. You really can. I'm not minimizing it. In fact, studies have shown that if you've been in a relationship with someone for a while and you break up, it has the same physical trauma as if you are in a car accident. Some of you are like, yeah, yep. You ache. You can't sleep or you sleep all the time. You can't eat or you eat all the time. It's hard. You had hopes, you had anticipated certain things with this individual. Maybe you had even talked about your dreams together and it felt like it was green light, green light, green light, yellow light, red light. It was done. You're like, oh man. But I remind you of this too. God never wastes anything. God never wastes anything. So I'm going to guess that a lot of us in this room can look back on relationships that we've had, middle school, high school, early college, and we think, oh man, what was that about? God doesn't waste that. He's teaching you. 
He's growing you. He's saying, let's move together from death to life. Let's move together to find people who help you grow in relationship with me. Let's move together to find you someone that's going to help you build the kingdom. I'm not going to waste that time in your life. You learned a lot of stuff about yourself and about other people and what's important to you and what you love. I'm not going to waste that. We can survive this. Let's go. Let's move into future together. You can survive a breakup. This also allows you to take a risk again. You can take a risk again. Before I met my husband, I had dated somebody, a bad breakup, I was in bad space, I felt like I was in a car accident. But it taught me, like, oh, I, I can survive this. So when my friend says to me a few months later, Hey, I've got somebody I want you to meet, I think. All right. I know I can survive. Go ahead. <laughs> and I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't gone through that experience. I wouldn't have known that I could survive it. Yeah, it was miserable. But you know what? I survived. Chocolate and prayer get you through a lot. And because of that, I was open when my friend Meg said, hey, I've got somebody to meet. I said, let's, let's go. And then she was the one who officiated at our wedding. See, yeah, there we go. I knew it was good. <laughs> God never wastes anything. So let's look over our five things. Singleness is a beautiful, important state of being. If you're single, love it. Enjoy it. We cannot save someone by dating them. Physical intimacy is not a right or a need. We will treat each other with honesty and kindness when we ask people out and when we stop seeing people, we can survive a breakup. So we've done the why and we've done the how. Let's remember, why do we date? To grow closer to Jesus, better for the kingdom, which leads us to do you have a checklist? Come on, some of, you, some of you literally have checklists about the person that you want to date and or marry. You have a list. He's got to be this tall, and he should play the guitar, and speak three languages, and be really nice to his mother, and if he had brown eyes, that would be great, right? Some of you are like, that's my list. <laughs> How did she know? We've got a list. We've got ideals. And most of the time, our lists are pretty thin. They're pretty superficial. Right? It's like, it's like that. I heard that song on the radio this week, I want a girl with a short skirt and a long jacket. Right? Do you know this song? Some of you are like, what are you listening to? It's a great question. That's a great question. I walked in on the song being played on the radio. It was not my choice. Um, it's like we have these lists, these ideals. Like, what is that, a short skirt and a long jacket? What is that about? What is that trying to say? So what would it look like if we used God's checklist? Turn to Psalm 15. Page 430. Page 430 in your pew Bibles. 
Psalm 15 describes a person of character, a person who loves righteousness. Begins by asking a question, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Those whose walk is blameless and who do what is right, who speak the truth from their heart, who do not slander with their tongue and do no evil to their friends, nor take up a reproach against their neighbors, in whose eyes the wicked are despised, but who honor those who fear the Lord, who stand by their oath even to their hurt, who do not lend money at interest, and do not take a bribe against the innocent. Those who do these things shall never be moved. This is a pretty good checklist. So if you think about the first in verse 2, those who walk blamelessly and do what is right, is this somebody who loves holiness? Is this somebody who is open to the Holy Spirit correcting them and moving them into a better way of living? Is this someone who wants to move from death to life? Do they do what is right? The second two are about language. Do they speak the truth from their heart? They don't slander with their tongue. If they've had a past relationship, how do they speak about the person? Do they speak with grace and forgiveness? How do they speak about people who hurt them? They do no evil to their friends, they nor take up a reproach against their neighbors. In their corner of the kingdom, do people like them? Are they trusted? Do their neighbors know them and want them around? In whose eyes the wicked are despised, but who honor those who fear the Lord. Does this person have a pretty good clear idea about what's right and what's wrong? And do they keep working hard to move from the wrong to the right? Who stand by their oath even to their hurt. This is an important question if you're looking to hang out with somebody long-term. Do they keep their promises even when it costs them? They don't feel well, but they promised to help somebody study for organic chemistry. And they could just text their way out, but instead they take the day cool, they wash their hands, they drink the orange juice, they sit at a safe distance away and they walk that person through organic chemistry because they promised they would and the test is the next day. This is somebody who keeps their oath even when it costs them. Do not lend money at interest. Do not take a bribe against the innocent. How is this person with money and stuff? Have they taken out lots of loans because they can get lots of loans and they're spending that loan money on everything? Or have they taken out just enough loan to get them through? When you go to church with them, do they have something to put in the offering plate? Do they carry a heavy balance on their credit card? How is the person around money and stuff? This is the checklist. This is a checklist for character. This is a checklist for righteousness. This is the checklist of the kind of friends we want. This is the checklist for the kind of people we want to date. These are people 
who will help us grow closer to Jesus and become better for the kingdom. So if you're praying about who to ask out, or you're praying for a spouse, or you're wondering what life will look like, not only look to see if those people are around you who meet this checklist, but is this you? Are you a Psalm 15 kind of person? Are you so grateful to God for what he has given you in Jesus Christ? Are you so grateful for the new life you have because of the resurrection of Jesus? Are you so overwhelmed that you can't help but be a Psalm 15 person? Because a Psalm 15 person is somebody I want standing next to me in my little corner of the kingdom. God invites us today to say, be around people who make you better. Be around people who make you love me more. And if you find somebody who does that for you, man, date them. God's invitation for us in all of these relationships, in the relationship with him, with our parents, with our friends, with the people that we date, for all of these things, it's to help us to flourish and to move us from death to life to move us from the tomb to resurrection. So as we move into this season of Lent and you think about the people in your life, give thanks for everybody who celebrates resurrection with you. Will you pray with me? Our God, we give you praise tonight because you care about these things. You really do. You care about how we treat people. You care that we don't date in order to get, but that we date in order to grow. And so God, help us in your mercy. I pray that you heal those in the room, those watching online who have been deeply hurt by romantic relationships. People have said and done unkind things to them and they are wounded. In your mercy, heal them. And for those in our community who are lonely and want so badly to know and be known by someone, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will nudge a friend toward them, someone who can love them deeply and well, so that they can truly have yada, be known well by another. And Lord, for those of us who are dating someone, give us wisdom about how that relationship is to proceed. Keep us chaste. Keep us loving. Keep us kind. And Lord, if you're going to call some of us into marriage, we pray that we will be Psalm 15 people and we will seek out Psalm 15 people. That character will matter more to us than the color of anyone's hair or eyes or skin. That integrity will matter more to us than many other things. Help us, Lord, to order our loves well so that we're less concerned about being liked. And we pray all of this through Jesus Christ, who loves us. Amen.